This week's podcast is proudly brought to you by Glossily Sports' all-new post-workout dry shampoo, Ready Sweat Glow. Made by Aussie runners for all hair types, especially for your post-long run sweaty hair. Ticking all the boxes, it's natural, non-aerosol, and absorbs sweat. Feel like you need some Ready Sweat Glow in your life? Check it out at glossilysport.com.au and use the code KUDOS20 for 20% off. Hi, I'm Izzy Bardoel and I want you to join me for a limited series on the past, present and future of Australian women's marathoning. The guests are Australia's best marathoners, with each of the seven episodes featuring an in-depth conversation with Aussie running royalty, from Benita Willis to Sinead Diver and more. We unpack their training, the ups and downs of their careers and what makes each of these athletes special. Hi, everyone. My name's Elise Beacom and I'm a different voice on the FTK Women's Marathon special today. Usually you'll find me churning out articles for the Blue Line or using chat GBT, but um, Brett and Joel don't listen to this, do they? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But today I have the very special task of interviewing our final fabulous guest of the series, you will know her as the host of the series, actually, Izzy Bat Doyle. Izzy, welcome to your podcast. How are you? Uh, thanks, Elise. It's great to be um, in a different role this time around. Pressure's off. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel more comfortable answering or ask, asking the questions? I think naturally um, I've done a lot more being interviewed than interviewing. So, yeah, when I got asked to um, be the host of the series by Joel and Brett, I was um very honoured, but also quite nervous uh, <laughs> to be the one um, actually asking the questions um, and, and kind of setting that up. So, yeah, I think I'm more naturally in my um, interview answering questions. <laughs> Great. Well, you're in your element now and you've done a fantastic job. So we've really enjoyed it so far. Uh, you're madly packing today. Tell us where you're going. I'm going back to Japan tomorrow morning. Um, it's my third trip of the year to Japan. And I've already got my flights for my fourth trip of the year for a trip Oof. next month. So, yeah, it will be um, four four trips to Japan in five months. So um, I love it in Japan. Um, I'm very happy to be invited back to more races. I'm going to do a half marathon this Sunday at the Gifu um, half marathon. Amazing. And what's in a month? I'm doing a 3K, actually. So I'm not sure when this podcast Ooh. will. I guess Patreon listeners might get it uh get this inside knowledge uh but um it may come out a bit later to the rest of the the listeners um but yeah i'm just pivoting back to the track for a little bit um i'm sure we'll get into this a little more in our chat but um i see myself as a versatile runner and i'm not sure marathon to 3k is a bit of a stretch uh but (laughs) i just yeah the opportunity came up to do a 3k track and i thought why not it'll be fun um another trip to japan to add in the passport love that um, now, Izzy, you've spent the last six episodes speaking to women's absolute marathon royalty in Sinead, Benita, Lisa, Jess, Ellie, Eloise. How does it feel to be in that sort of company and flicking, flipping the mic on yourself today? Yeah, I look, I look up to all of those women so much and um, listening to every single one of their stories, uh, their careers, the, the highs and low, lows that they've been through. Um, was super inspiring to me and also 
yeah, just very humbling to be, um, yeah, I, I guess sitting in, in their company and, and in the conversation of being even in that kind of, um, you know, being one of those women, I guess. So I, yeah. I really feel super honored that, um, I look up to them as, as friends and, um, as role models, but also as competitors. Uh, you know, we're still competing against each other. And, um, yeah, I kind of can't believe that, um, I'm even in the same conversation as their names. You absolutely are in the conversation. Um, you're, you're relatively new to the marathon, as you say, and you had your debut in Melbourne marathon last year, ran 228.10 and then Nagoya in Japan, love Japan yep. earlier this year. <laughs> <laughs> you ran a PB there, 227.54. I mean, these are already fantastic performances in their own right. But I think what's so exciting about you, Izzy, is that we just know that this is just the beginning. Yeah, definitely. I think um, that's it. I feel like I'm just kind of scratching the surface of what's possible and um, really give credit to those women who've kind of come before me and are still um, competing for paving the way and showing us what's possible and for like even getting me excited to put myself in that um, in that picture and become a marathoner. But, yeah, I'm really excited about the future and I feel like I've got a lot to learn Um I've learned a lot from my two marathons so far and there's so much that I still need to to work on, to practice and to learn. Um, but, yeah, I'm really excited for what's to come. And, yeah, I think I, I've got a lot more of my story to unfold. Amazing. Well, we will dive into your story. Before we do that, I do have a bit of a bone to pick with you, though, yeah. Izzy. <laughs> so Nervous. I don't know if you know this, but I am also an Adelaidean. Oh, I didn't and know that. Yeah. And when I go home to visit my parents, I like to run in Adelaide. Um, and a few months ago, I got an email from Strava saying that Izzy Bat Doyle had stolen one of my Strava segments. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> and I was, I was pretty upset. I was thinking, okay, look at Izzy. She's been to the Olympics. She's run the 5,000, the 10,000 in the Commonwealth Games. She came eighth in both of those. She got PBs of 15.04 over the 5,000 and she's got 31.40 over the 10,000. Like, let me have this piddly little Strava segment. <laughs> no, I'm taking it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's good enough. I'm over it now. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> the but, one I hate was when you get your Strava crowns taken by people on bikes. I went oh, through a phase yeah. where I actually report, I flagged them and then I just gave up. I was like, okay, <laughs> whatever, you can have it. <laughs> Got no, more important things to worry about. <laughs> we need to cancel all of those people, that's for yeah. sure. All right, now that we've cleared the air, uh, let's take us back to some of the early years in running, Izzy. Um, tell us, what's your earliest memory of lacing up your shoes and going for a run? Yeah, I I um I think back to my early years of running and I was lucky to have parents who were pretty sporty and and ran marathons and half marathons when I was growing up and so I guess being active was pretty normal to be around but nothing like high level performance um just kind of enjoying it but my older sister Emmy joined uh, little athletics when she was um, young and I just kind of followed along like any younger sibling does and. Um, that's really my first kind of memories of it is going out to athletics when I was in under nines. Um, I have this one memory, um, from, you know, it gets talked about a lot kind of in my, in my career when I get asked. So maybe I'm kind of like telling myself the memory and remembering it more, but I did the city to bay here in Adelaide when I was, uh, nine years old with my stepdad. Uh, we ran the whole way, the 6k event, um, 
got a picture in the paper and that was kind of my, I guess, a really fun moment in my running career, like finishing a race, getting my picture in the paper, that kind of thing, like really enjoying kind of the journey and, and the reward that came from actually um, completing something. Um, and, but yeah, little athletics for me was, was really fun. I made some really good friendships from that young age and, and really just following my sister out there. I, I just kind of did what she did as a younger sister. And, you know, I, I looked up to her and she was a pretty good athlete. So I thought, you know, why not give it a go? Um, and out there, I really, I tried everything. I did high jump, shot put, you know, you name it, but I really did love, um, the running. And I remember that, um, anytime the event got longer, I certainly, um, enjoyed it more and I performed better. Uh, there were some pivotal moments in my running. I remember, remember I had a few friends who I ran against. They were a, a year or two older than me and I'd always just finish right behind them, like second place in every race. And, and one day my mom said to me, Izzy, you know, you, you're actually allowed to run ahead of so and so. Um, and I, and I kind of went, Oh, I, I can. <laughs> and so like the next race, I, I, I beat that friend and I never kind of looked back, if you know what I mean. Like I, I think that was when I opened my mind to like, yeah, you can push yourself. You know, this can be something, um, that, you know, you really give it a go. Um, and yeah, from then on, I, I really, um, enjoyed my running and, and progressed through running, uh, yeah, at a, at a state level and, and then at a national level. Oh, that's amazing to hear that sort of anecdote and quite a formative experience probably in, in how we know you as a racer now, because you're often up the front, yeah. right in the mix. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Uh, so Izzy, you went through Little Aths. Um, you're a good junior in the fact that you represented South Australia. Um, and then you went over to the US where you s- spent five years mm-hmm. as a student athlete at the University of Washington studying psychology. Tell us about your biggest highlight from that time. Yeah, so I feel very grateful to have been given that opportunity. And as you said, like I, I was a fairly good junior in the sense that I was running at a national level. Um, I didn't see myself as any kind of superstar. Like I was just having fun and always happy to make a state team, get an experience where I'd get to travel to a, a new place and, um, you know, get a new track suit, get a few more pins, badges on my, on my beanie, uh, you know, just really there for the experience. And for me, a pivotal moment in my career was when I was at school and I kind of, um, started to realize that going to America on a scholarship would be an opportunity that was presented to me. Um, and that actually my running could take me somewhere in life, like physically and also, um, you know, pay for my study and give me that different opportunity. So I remember having that, um, kind of put forward really shifted my opinion of, of running and, and what it could do for my life. Like I just saw it as a hobby, but a fun, um, something I was, I really enjoyed, but would probably wind down once I was out of school. And I guess taking this opportunity to go to America changed that where I really decided to make that a priority and, and really test myself, see how far I could go uh, while also using it, um, you know, to give me a new life experience, living overseas and getting my degree. Um, so, yeah, that was a great opportunity that I took and I'm certainly glad I did, but it came with a lot of struggles um, in those years too. Um I feel like the whole experience across the board was a positive one. And I, I tell anyone who has that opportunity um, that, you know, how much I uh, think that people really should take it if, if they're, if they're willing to and, and want to explore living in a different place and, and, you know, studying overseas. Um, I think it's amazing, but yeah, certainly there were, there were plenty of highs and lows. So um, now I've forgotten the exact question you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. We can come back to that. Um, 
Uh, tell us about some of your sort of key achievements during during college, and then we'll go into some of the challenges because yeah. I'm sure people will want to hear about yeah, that too. Yeah, so... Um, in, in that time, I was able to, I started out at a smaller school and then I transferred after 18 months to the University of Washington. Um, I just felt like I needed to be in a place that was going to push me to that next level. The first school I was at, I just went in there and was kind of um, a big fish in a small pond, so to speak, and I really went there to get that challenging experience. And at Washington, I certainly did. I, I wasn't um, anywhere near best on the team. I was scraping in to get that um, top seven for cross country to be in the scoring seven to actually go to nationals and 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 be um, wearing a vest um, at the national championships. But in my time there, I finished as a school record holder in the 5K and 10K. Um, I think the 5K has been broken now. Um, and oh. I came I came third at the NCAA championships in the 10K in 2019 and, and won the conference championships. Um, so yeah, I, I had a good... Um, a good last year there where I was able to really kind of reach what I thought was my full potential um, at, at that time. But it came with a lot of challenges and um, mainly that was uh, six stress fractures in my feet over two years. So Ooh. yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of um, time in a boot and on crutches and um, looking back, I'm really pleased that I was able to get those performances on the board between those struggles, but it certainly um, was a challenging time. Yeah. Oh, gee. Yeah, that sounds really tough. Um, I heard you broke three bones in one race. In yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a cross-country national championships. And I guess just the way things are over there, it's pretty intense. And, you know, you're running, you're on a scholarship, you're wanting to prove that you're worthy of your scholarship. And, um, you know, you're contributing team team points. And it really is quite a high-pressure environment. And you're racing every week or every second weekend, um, pretty much all year round with the three indoor, indoor, outdoor and cross country seasons. So, um, unfortunately, yeah, I just think my body was, um, just not coping with that intensity. Um, and at the national cross country championships in 2017, I think about three Ks into the six K race, I felt my foot just kind of go, I would say. Um, and I finished the race. It was very painful. Um, uh, but I was put in a wheelchair and then put on crutches. Um, and subsequently didn't run for almost four months. I broke my navicular and three metatarsals in one foot. Ooh. So yeah, it was a, it was a bad day. Um, and that unfortunately was the kind of start of a series of stress fractures in my feet, but a massive learning experience. So I feel like I, I needed to go through as an athlete to, to get things right, to be at the level I'm at now. Yeah. Did that, was that playing in the back of your mind running world cross earlier yeah. this year? Yeah, to be honest, like doing uh, cross country this year again was uh, a, a little bit of a sh challenge for me, like to get in that mindset again. Stromlo really is like running on a grass carpet. Um, and so to get through that race and, and feel pretty good and move on was a nice feeling. And then I guess lining up at Bathurst um, and that kind of course, yeah, it was a little bit like I remember just the footing on the first lap just being like, oh, oh no. But yeah. I think I'm a, a stronger athlete and, uh, yeah, mentally and physically. So I was able to, to come through all right. <laughs> Good on you, Izzy. You're certainly resilient. That's for sure. Now in the past and currently you've spoken out a lot about body positivity, promoting healthy eating habits, and especially within female sport. Uh, this can be a problem for some female athletes. Was there anything about your time in college that helped? nurture this passion that you have in this area 
Yeah, definitely. So it kind of goes back to um, my sister, unfortunately, she was a really good athlete, but she did struggle uh, with an eating disorder. And so I saw that firsthand and I saw her kind of like fall um, out of the sport and not reach her full potential because of, uh, you know, the struggle she went through. And so I was always, um, you know, aware that that was a real possibility that people would, you know, fall into in this type of sport. And unfortunately, over in America, um, like I said, it's just kind of that intense environment where it's very competitive and, you know, you're trying to prove yourself and, um, you know, make improvements and make progress and and make the most of those four years that you're given or five. Um, and the culture at, I'm sure, a lot of the schools and unfortunately at the time when I was at Washington um, can be challenging, very competitive environment. And um, I saw a lot of girls who were suffering from eating disorders or just disordered eating or um, just kind of, um, yeah, unhealthy habits or unhealthy kind of environment collectively. Um, we had a coach leave during my time there due to these issues. Um, so it was quite prevalent um, and quite challenging at times to deal with. Um, and while, you know, I struggled in and out with different aspects of that, um, I'm, I'm really glad that I kind of stuck to my, um, my knowledge and, and to my gut that, um, you know, in the long run, being strong, being healthy, um, is way more important and going to pay off long term for, you know, having a long, long career in the sport versus having one really good season, um, and kind of disappearing because of injury or, you know, burnout. So yeah, I, I think seeing it up close and personal and seeing, Friends and, and of course, my sister kind of struggle with this issue has made me really quite um, passionate about um, advocating for um, thinking about the long term um, health, you know, aspects of being an athlete and and how we can really nurture that. Yeah, that's great, Izzy. Do you think being surrounded by those sort of issues or being in that environment and then dealing with the the injuries that were quite debilitating during that time? Like, how do you think you've come out of that and how has that shaped you as a person and as a runner? Mm, I think, like, it's something that um, I'm sure a lot of female and, and, and males too struggle with, um, just, like, dealing with that issue of, like, um, looking after your body but also, um, you know, trying to get the most out of it and, and, and think about high performance. Um, and for me, like, when I was at college, I was told, I'd run faster if I lost weight, um, you know, all these different things. And unfortunately, struggling from these um, injuries, I was never underweight, but I was probably um, underfueling like in a different way. So, um, mm. you know, not eating enough at, at certain times and then making up for it later or, you know, you know just not, not really looking after myself, like trying to um, do what I thought was the best thing, but not putting my health first. And and for me, that was actually losing my period for a couple of years and then having to work really hard to get it back. And I think that's really helped me be a stronger athlete um, and move on from these bone stress injuries. Um, it, it's likely that a lot of athletes are in that red S kind of zone, uh, whether mm. they look underweight or not. Um, it can be something that's actually not seen. It could just be like uh, energy deficiency, you know, spreading yourself too thin, not sleeping well, like all these kind of factors that go into, um, you know, the holistic approach of looking at an athlete. So, yeah, I, I think that understanding that now and kind of like going through those issues has made me, um, yeah, really appreciate it more and respect my body and what it can do for me and how I need to work with it to support it to do its best 
um, at what I want it to do. Yeah, that's wonderful and such a positive message, I think, for a lot of athletes and just in general mm. for for people generally. Uh, you talked about your sister earlier. I want to talk about some of the other amazing women who've been in your life supporting your athletics career. So your mum, Rosie, I know she's played a big part. She used to travel with you to nationals as a junior um, Marissa Powell, who was one of your coaches at Washington, and also Benita, who you spoke to, but who was a childhood hero of yours. Like, how important have these strong female figures and role models been for your career so far, and oh, particularly yeah. in the early years? Definitely, I think having um, people to look up to, you know, to set the set the way for you and set the tone is so important. Like. Having my mum, who was just so supportive, um, she was never one of those pushy parents. So she always like um, supported me and travel with me to races. And I was very fortunate that you know she had the means to do that. Um, but you know she never really knew like it would be like, oh, is that a PV? Oh, good job. Like it wasn't like <laughs> nothing pushy and nothing like we just made the most out of it and had fun. And I was very lucky that she came and visited me in America too when I was over there. And um, she's actually running London Marathon this weekend, so I'm really excited oh. for her. Yes, yeah, shout yeah. out to Rosie. Good luck. I know. So she ran 3.45 at Chicago last year. She is 63. Um, so she's oh. going pretty well. Um, I coach <gasps> her. So she's my star athlete. <laughs> oh, that's um, huge. But it's been really cool to share this love of running together and to also see her, um, you know, see her progress. And one of the really um, beautiful things recently with um, Runners One, which is the group we've built and it kind of came to about um, through helping my mum, coaching her through her running. She was one of our first athletes, um, is actually seeing her run on the track for the first time. Like she's been at the track my whole life taking me there. And then we had a time trial um, a couple of years ago. And yeah, just like seeing her get her chance to run on the track for the first time. Like it's pretty cool to, um, yeah, now now be doing it together and um, yeah, to see how far we've kind of come together and be so close. Um, she's been a great role model and, and still is to me, like, you know, what she's able to do and continue to push the boundaries. Um, is pretty cool and yeah like I've had amazing women in my career uh, Marisa Powell I was super lucky that she um, and Andy Powell transferred well they, they came to Washington from Oregon and I got them for my last year of college at Washington and um, yeah it was a standout year for me not only performance wise but just enjoyment like how much I enjoyed the whole year so I ran all my personal bests I came you know third at nationals and as I said broke school records all in that last season with Marisa and she really gave me the confidence in myself um, that um, that I needed like no one had believed in me the way that she made me believe in myself um, and it was just a beautiful relationship to have a female coach and to have someone that I could be so open with um, and I felt really um, like not only believed in me but like wanted the best for me and saw me not only as an athlete but as a, a well-rounded person who was like interested in my in my social life my relationships my you know my, my schoolwork, um my academics and, and my running it wasn't just like just results so yeah I really love the relationship I have with her and um it certainly has made me want to get more into the coaching space which I have since um the last few years and we still keep in touch and just have so much respect for her and uh and, and also as you as you mentioned um Benita Wheelis like looking up to her through my career and then um, her coming and speaking to us at the cross country championships and, and getting to interview her on the podcast. Like that's so cool. I, to have looked up to her over these years and, 
and other amazing women like I, I'm from SA, as, as you know, Adelaide and, um, you know, Jess uh, Stenson, formerly Trengrove, like she's from SA and I've known her since I was, I don't know, 12 or something from state teams and always looked up to her. To, so to call her a friend now um, and also someone that I've looked up to over the years is, is pretty cool. And yeah, I'm very, very appreciative to all women. And I don't know, in the last couple of years, like becoming part of the MTC group and, and traveling with the women like Jen Gregson and and now getting more into the marathon and traveling with Elsie, like it's just been so great to have those women who you know really, um, really want the best for you. And like, it, it's just beautiful to, to feel like people who you're even still competing against genuinely want the best for you. It's, it's a lovely thing when women support other women. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm sure you're also paying it forward in absolute spades, Izzy. Oh, thank you. I hope so. Definitely something that I, I want to do in my career as well. Yeah, great. All right. Well, let's leave college for now. Um, but I would love to talk about your transition to senior competition. So we'll set the scene a little bit. You've left the US. You're back in Australia. It's 2020, 2021. Great years for you, not great years for the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> COVID times. Yeah. Um, but in terms of your performances, you broke uh, Lisa Ondiecki's state 5,000 metre record. You ran the 15.04 in Netherlands to secure the automatic Olympic spot um, or qualifier for the 5,000. And that time actually launched you to sixth all-time Australian as well. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that period? Yeah, so I guess like leaving college um, was a big adjustment for me after being there for five years and um, I kind of ended my collegiate career by um, running for Australia at the World University Games um, in Napoli, which was a lot of fun, but I I ran through a broken foot, which I didn't realise was broken mm. until afterwards. Um, and so that was kind of like a bad way to end such a great season, like coming home with a broken foot um and kind of starting from scratch yeah I, I, I hope really you got to eat some pizza in Napoli oh I had the best pizza and it was so cheap it was amazing it was so good <laughs> um but unfortunately like I got this great relationship with Marisa um and then I had to leave and I didn't have to leave I, I considered staying and it was certainly something I thought about staying in America but I'm definitely, yeah, I'm really close to my family. I had a partner back in Australia. Um, we've been doing long distance. So the move back to Australia was, um, the best one for me all round. And, um, but it was really hard coming home, not being able to run, adjusting to like a new life after five years being away. So yeah, it was a, a challenging time. And to be honest, like coming off this injury, I broke my calcaneus. Um, I didn't run for almost six months, um, from July yeah. 2019 to the start of 2020. And, I had a lot of time to think about like why I was running, like, you know, what I was doing it for, what my reasons were. Um, and I actually almost completely stepped back from the sport, um, from a competitive level. Like I kind of did, like I kind of planned to. So I'd, I'd had an agent I'd linked up with in America and I kind of said to them, look, I, I'm not going to pursue this competitively. So I think this relationship, you know, isn't really going to go forward. Um, and. I was applying to get into my master's and PhD in psychology after finishing my honours in America and that was a bit of a process but eventually I did I did get in and I um, that was kind of the plan. Um, and, yeah, it's just funny when, like, when you let go of expectations and you let go of, like, um, all the stuff that goes with it, that's when the magic happens. <laughs> yeah. And so 
as soon as I kind of made that decision to almost like let go of, um, you know, really pressing forward, my foot healed over time. The world paused because of COVID. Um, races stopped and training, you know, didn't have that intensity or rush to it to get back for anything. And um, I just started running because I was enjoying it. And, you know, naturally over time I got fitter. I built up more, you know, I was doing all the right things in the gym and, you know, ticking all the boxes. And once the, um, you know, races were available, I started running PBs um, and like really kind of making a breakthrough, um, you know, winning all the races here. And we had some pretty good competition um, with Jess and Caitlin and, and, and Tara and other women in the state. So I was, you know, getting kind of rolling. And, uh, yeah, I guess like later that year, I lowered my PB from 15.41 to 15.26 and broke that state record, which had held for quite a while. And um, that was a pretty really pivotal moment in my career because I wasn't even thinking about the Olympics at all. And, um, yeah, 15.26 was still 16 seconds away from the qualifying time and was not on my radar at all. But once I'd done that, there were just a few comments here and there made, like about me being able to make it to the Olympics. And I was kind of like, oh. No, but like I'm pretty happy with, you know, what I just did. Um, and I guess that mentality of really just enjoying myself and having fun with it um, and really loving training and the small team around me that I had um, with my partner Riley, his brother Jacob and a few close training partners. Um, yeah, it was just amazing. And I went on to run uh, 31.43 at Zadipec and come second, which was a real shock. Like Rose and I kind of both came out of nowhere, so to speak, a lot of people thought. Um in a really deep field, you know, the two of us going one, two was, was a, was a big deal, I think at the time and follow that up with a 15, 11 at Box Hill in the 5k, um, missing the standard by one second, um, you know, and lowering my PB again by 15 seconds. So the ball was rolling, um, uh, and I was loving it. Uh, and yeah, as you said, I went over to Europe. I, um, linked up with Nick Vidal and MTC and, had the opportunity to go over to Europe and yeah, in my first race there, I got the job done and run 1504 and yeah, made my, uh, got my ticket to Tokyo. So that was really, um, the start of my professional running career, I guess. Amazing. And Japan comes up again in this conversation. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Izzy, I'm curious to hear you, you mentioned when you were actually contemplating stepping back from the sport completely that you were looking for your why. So did, did you find out what that is? Yeah, I think that um, I would probably boil it down to um, I, I run to give, give purpose to my life, like to my days and overall my life, and also to inspire other people to live healthier and happier lives. Um, and that might sound a bit cliche, but I guess that's kind of what it just all boils down to. Like um, for me, running like means that I wake up every day and I've got like even if there's a million things going on or nothing going on, I've got a purpose for the day and, um, you know, running gives me a purpose, I feel, to my, like, life um, and I really hope through that I can try and inspire other people to, in whatever way it is, be healthier and be happier um, because, yeah, running can really be pretty amazing in the sense of um, shaping people um, in ways that are, you know, really quite amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, and the Olympic spot, how did it feel getting that? You you said Olympics hadn't really been on your radar because you 
you hadn't thought maybe that you were on the verge of of sort of running those times mm. um but once you got it what was that like yeah it's crazy because um my PB was like in the 1540s it's pretty far away from 1510 and so if anything um I think both myself and Rose too like that 10k at Zadipec more indicated we might be getting it closer to the the 3125 10k time um I wasn't thinking about the 5k at all I didn't think I had the speed for it to be honest um so yeah to actually run that and you know I think that race in the Netherlands was probably one of the, my career highlights I felt so strong I led the race um from the start to the finish um I, I won it like it, it was just a really good feeling and um yeah to actually kind of realize that dream in that race because I knew once I crossed the line and saw the time I, even though I had to wait for official confirmation a month later I knew I'd I'd be going um and it was kind of strange like having no family and friends there um and you know all the kind of hype that had gone into it and the last minute travel and all that like but yeah it was a beautiful moment like I was bawling my eyes out um and yeah I think I'll always look back on that and just remember yeah the excitement and I guess the relief and the joy that came with that yeah was that a a goal of yours as a kid as young as he vying for the Olympics I think it's funny like everyone says like oh yeah I want to make the Olympics and even when I when I went to the University of Washington I transferred I remember saying to the coach at the time when I was um looking to transfer like oh yeah like I want to run for Australia and I want to go to the Olympics and stuff like people everyone says that but you don't always understand like what actually goes into it and um and yeah so I guess it's a long-term dream but it probably wasn't a reality that I was thinking about until maybe 2016 and even then it was still like you know miles and miles away from from actually being a tangible goal that you could kind of like see and hold and and, and feel and look towards yeah and then how did the Olympics live up to your expectations yeah I guess I didn't really have all that many um expectations in the sense that um you know I'd never experienced a major championships um pre-COVID like UD Games is fun but it's not a huge event um and so I kind of went into it like pretty open-minded and I had a great time like it was very short like we were already there for six days and I think there was a lot that went into it with all the COVID testing and all those requirements that took away probably some of the um the excitement that would have gone with the normal games but um yeah it was a different experience and I, I loved it like the race itself it was a bit meh, like, I don't know, I ran 15, 21, mm. I came, I don't know, 15th in my heat and 28th overall. And um, like, I think that was a fair enough result for my first major championships and the humi- humidity that um, the Tokyo was at the time. But I didn't like, I didn't love the race or like walk away feeling really like happy with my performance. I was just kind of like, okay, that's done. Like, that's weird. Like I just, I just ran at the Olympics, like, that's kind of a bit like whatever. Uh, but, you know, there was no one there and it was all kind of a bit, the race itself was all a bit like underwhelming um, and also very overwhelming at the same time, just all the cameras, the massive stadium, being on the star line with absolute superstars and feeling like you're a bit out of place. But I think everyone has to go go through that, like feeling a bit of imposter syndrome and a bit of like out of their comfort zone to then be ready for the next time. And, and by Com Games, I felt a little more um, like settled to be in that stage. How do you deal with imposter syndrome? I don't know. I think like having a psychology background, I, I, I think these things a little bit too much. But um, <laughs> I think that everyone gets imposter syndrome in, in some aspect of their life. Like 
it's pretty normal um, and just like accepting that that's a normal feeling to have and then just trying to remind yourself that like um, like I deserve to be here like I I earned my spot like I'm you know and just, yeah just reminding yourself I, I use a technique where you kind of like you zoom out of the situation and like for me it's thinking about like you know maybe I'm not the best on this start line or anywhere near it but you know how far I've had to go to get to where I am and how many people want you know might want to be in this position that I've kind of like got to and then kind of then zooming back into where you are and being like oh like with perspective I can really see that like I do deserve to be here and um you know I need to be confident and enjoy the experience I guess Mm, that's a great technique actually um so let's compare the Olympic experience to Commonwealth Games which was probably very different I'm sure I hope you were happy with your runs there because you ran really, really well. Uh, talk us about through all of that. Yeah, thank you. I It was a very good experience and it was very different to the Olympics. And I have to say it's probably um, the, the best experience I've had in my career um, in terms of a competition. But the lead in itself for me was quite different. Like Tokyo, I was on a roll, like having fun, like everything was good. Like I was running PBs and sessions, PBs and races in the lead up. It was all like new and exciting. And then I think um, what's often, you know, overlooked is that then how do you back up from a breakthrough year? Um, you mm. know, like I came up the next year and um, I was third at the national 10K after being second the year before. And I led the national 5K and then got piped in the last lap and ended up fourth after being second the year before. And, you know, it just felt like, um, I wasn't quite as good as I was, um, you know, this time around. And, um, I think looking back at it, I was a little bit too desperate to, to be improving when mm. it's, I should have just been more, I should have actually been more confident in myself, um, and confident in my abilities and, and have confidence in the facts that things would fall into place at the right time. I was almost like so, um, desperate that I had to be better than I was the year before. I had to, be a place higher, break my PBs, that that desperation kind of like I think um, slapped me in the face a little bit. Uh, and unfortunately, like I was dealing with this hamstring injury um, that I'm still dealing with. I had shockwave just this evening. Um, that's been kind Ooh, of – lucky. Yeah, it's been kind of um, challenging for me the last 18 months. Um, and I ended up missing world champs, you know, because I came forth at the at the trials and, and I didn't get the time. I ran 15 – 10.9 and the qualifier was under 15 10 so that was that really was so hard close. like you know I was overseas um and I was racing every week with this injury and I was just really quite unhappy and and just scraping by and I think um you know that really plays on you mentally and physically and um I was lucky that once I kind of got over the disappointment of missing world champs and not going to Eugene um I really focused my attention on getting myself right and making com games as good as it could be um, with the time that I had and with um, the situation that I was in. And I made the choice to go to St. Moritz, which is a place that I love. It's very expensive, but it's a beautiful place. Beautiful. Um, and train with Sinead, Jess and Elsie as they prep for the Commonwealth Games Marathon. I knew I'd have a great time training with them and being up there. So um, I made sure my environment was good um, and I could do everything that was possible you know, within my control to set myself up for a good experience. And luckily I got my hamstring feeling reasonably good um, that I felt confident, you know, to race in the track and, and, and run as fast as I could. And 
the 10K, I was a little apprehensive. Like I think um, just lining up, I, I wanted to have a solid run. I didn't want to do anything crazy and blow up or, you know, put myself out there too much. I was still a little bit unsure about racing because, you know, because of dealing with this issue and not racing for for a little while before the, the games. And I have to say getting lapped was a little bit challenging. Um, looking back on it, I was like, oh, I wish I just, um, I just put a little surge in so I didn't get on the replay of Eilish going past oh. me. But also <laughs> like, you know, if it's going to be anyone Eilish uh, running a Commonwealth Games record and passing me with a lap to go, I'll, I'll let it happen. Yeah, you're in the history books now, Izzy. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, look, yeah, I came eighth and I ran 32 flat and it was it was a solid race. But once I got the call up, I actually wasn't selected for the 5K. I was just the 10K. Um, but as it turns out, Jess Hull couldn't do both the 10 and the 5. So I got a spot in the 5K last minute. And I really went into that race with the opinion of like, I've got nothing to lose. Like, I'm just going to run as hard as I can. So after the 10K, I just, it was incredible experience. It was the loudest stadium I've ever heard. Like people were just yelling. And I guess because Eilish was, um, you know, she was, she won. Um, people were just up on their seats, like the whole time cheering for her and cheering for us all. But, you know, that, that real excitement for her to be in contention for a medal, um, was definitely evident from the start. And, I couldn't help but enjoy it. Like, even though I wasn't having the best race of my life, like it was pretty amazing to be out there and just how loud the stadium was. And yeah, I have to say they did a great job in Birmingham. Like the the whole setup, the, the village, everything, the stadium, it was all just really well done. And yeah, I loved every minute of it. And getting that opportunity to go out there for another 12 and a half laps, I was so excited about. I was just like, yes, I'm going to make the most of this. Um, and I just did what I could to recover, to feel good. And three days later, I went out there with absolutely nothing to lose and I just ran as hard as I could. And I think I ran like, I don't know, nine flat through the first 3K and I was like on the on the front pack or whatever, just hanging off it. And by the fourth K, I felt that 10K in my legs um, and I think I ran like a 309. And then I just like, I remember just being like, I'm not giving up. And I kind of like pushed really hard that last K and I got back down to like, I don't know, 301 or 302 or something. And I finished up with... Um, 15, 13 and, and, uh, an eighth place. And I was really pumped because it was a really strong field. There was, I don't know, 26 women in the field. And, um, I was the first Australian. Like I just, I walked away from that really pleased with, um, how I'd raced and more mentally than physically. Like I, I knew I'd raced well physically, but, um, that was a mental win for me kind of coming over that disappointment of missing world champs, um, dealing with my hamstring, not having so much confidence in my body. I just felt like I, I ran um, as best as I could, and I was really proud of that. Yeah, oh, fantastic! And the fourth K always seems to be yeah, the slowest. I know it? it's such a hard one. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's definitely yeah. That's what we all need to work on, probably in the five K. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing that really stands out to me, Izzy, when you were talking about the 2020, 2021 years, was how fun everything was, mm-hmm. and then talking now about. Um, getting up for the Olympics and feeling that sense of desperation. Mm. Do you think things just got a bit too serious? Do you have you been trying to keep it a bit lighter and a bit more fun now in your training? Yeah, definitely. And I I think that um, if look, it's just natural that like for me, I was running as a hobby, like for fun, and then suddenly like it becomes your job. You get a sponsorship. I dropped out of my PhD and masters to pursue my running instead. Like you know, you put a little bit more weight and pressure on yourself and it goes from being like, oh, wow, I'm doing well to like, I need to do well. Like 
for my identity, for my, like, for my earning, like, for, for, you know, for my life. Um, and so I think that can be a mistake when you kind of like put yourself too deep into that thinking. And now, yeah, I'm definitely just like, I'm doing it because I love it. And I remind myself that week in and week out, like, I don't have to do this. No one's making me get up, get up this morning and do this session. Like I'm choosing to do it. I want to do it. Um, and I think just having that ownership of like, I'm choosing this and like, as we said, like remembering your why um, is, yeah, super important. And I know that that's something that I'll have to keep very much in mind as we go into another Olympic year when you start to feel the pressure of like, oh, I made the last Olympics. I need to make the next Olympics. Of course I want to, but look, some things are out of my control. I can only do my absolute best and then be happy with whatever result comes from that, right? So, yeah, definitely keeping it fun. Um, I've got great training partners. I usually train. I've got a guy, Connor, I'm training with now. Um, he'll be faster than me pretty soon. So I have to find someone else. Um, you know, the last couple of marathon blocks, I had a great training partner, Brian, like that they keep it fun for me and, uh, yeah. And remind me that, you know, we're all just here having fun and, and yeah, we should be enjoying ourselves. Yeah. Your mum might even get the call up. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. She, she's, uh, she's, she's doing pretty well. We've, we've done a few jogs together. Uh, we, we ran, I think, 8Ks a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night together at 5.30. So, yeah, she can nice. she, she can be a good training partner for my easy days. <laughs> <laughs> so, Izzy, you mentioned Olympics, the next cycle. You're one of our best runners in the 5,000 and the 10,000 metres, and I think you could keep making teams for a long time in those distances. But where do you see your future now? Yeah, it's a good question. And like, I think something that I'm still kind of working on, um, as I said, like I'm going to do a 3K in Japan next month. Like that's still just keeping a bit of speed in my legs and um, a little bit of um, being in touch with the track. And I'm not ruling out giving the 5K or the 10K a crack. Uh, I think the 10K now, it's just, it sounds like, not saying it's unrealistic, but like the qualifying time now is essentially the Australian record. Um, yeah, and so you know, going to these national, these international championships now, um, you know, we're probably going to have women running under 29 minutes for 10 K. And I'm not sure that I really want to be in a race, um, you know, on that level when, you know, you might get lapped or double lap. It just, it just doesn't mm. feel, and it's nothing, you know, it just doesn't feel quite um, quite right, and and it's really hard. Like we haven't had um, any women made it make it in the ten um, at the last World Championships or Olympics because that standard is getting really hard, and the field is capped at a certain amount. So it does make it hard, um, really, to put people in those fields if they're not running exceptional times like Australian records. Um, so it's not it's not impossible, but it's probably um, one that is a little bit bit challenging to to see happening. Uh, the 5k, I still really want to break 15 and, and, you know, run fast 5k. So that's definitely something I'm not, I'm not out ruling, but I do see my long-term career being in the marathon and just these last two marathons. Like I've, I have learned so much, but, um, yeah, I still feel like there's so much more I can put into the, the next one and the one after that to, to really take chunks off my time and to, and to see what's possible. Okay. Well, let's talk about that now yeah. then. <laughs> um, so you first dipped your toe in with the Melbourne Half Marathon in 2021. You won it. You ran a course record and then returned in 2022 to do the the whole hog, so to speak. Uh, so we'll dive into Melbourne Marathon and Nagoya individually, but 
Firstly, in the traditional way that we like to do things, let's hear about a marathon training week for you, Izzy. Yeah, so I think it's interesting. My two builds have been maybe not your most common um, like training blocks. They've been relatively short and had other racing in them. Um, but a general week when I'm when I'm not leading into a race would be um, Monday. I'd usually run um, sixty minutes in the morning, thirty minutes. Well, seven k's. I usually do a seven k loop from home. It's about thirty three minutes um, in the evening. So um, yeah, pre- I kind of precise. Yeah, yeah, very precise. Um, yeah, it's weird. I run to time usually in the morning, but then run to distance in the afternoon. I don't know why. Uh, but yeah, usually Monday is two runs. Sometimes um, it might just end up being one run and, and an elliptical, depending on how I'm feeling. But usually two runs. Um, and then Tuesday would be a track session. We pretty much stay on the track all year round. Or if it's not the track, I use a grass track, uh, not the actual um, rubber track. Um out of convenience, but also because I think that running on the grass builds good strength. Um, mm. And then once you get on the track, y- you just feel like you've got that extra pop. Um, yeah, I just think the grass track is a really good way to build strength, not kind of wacky body so much uh, and get more out of yourself when you actually get on the track. So Do typical. You run those sessions in spikes or? I actually have been, uh, depending on how the grass is. So often I'll wear spikes um, if it's a little bit like rough and I just feel like I need to get get around if it's really been mowed recently and it's nice um I might just wear kind of my my um my like race shoes metaspeeds yeah. um but yeah I do find they're a little bit stacked on the grass it can feel a bit uncomfortable if the grass is a bit bit heavier um but yeah a typical session might be like just like eight by k I did this week and last week and I did quite a few times in the marathon block too um but otherwise something like um a mix of shorter reps um, on the track. But usually the volume is about 8Ks worth of actual running reps um, and it may have some jog laps and a lot of Nick sessions are 20 to 25 laps of the track and and that includes like the jog laps between. Um, so you might have, you know, two sets of 5 by 800 or 8 by K, something like that. Wednesday or Tuesday evening I'll do an elliptical. So something I kind of started to implement when I had this hamstring injury to start with and then from speaking to other athletes and realising the benefits, um, I bought an elliptical and I use that at least twice a week, sometimes three, um, and I tend to do that on my session days as my double um, just because I feel like, I don't know, I don't always feel like running again, but it's a good way just to get the heart rate going, get a bit of a sweat on. So I'll do 30 to 45 minutes on the elliptical just around like, 135 to 140 beats a minute with a heart rate strap just keep it pretty pretty moderate and then Wednesday morning um I'll just do 90 minutes in the morning um medium long run pretty easy I like to run my easy pace like changes day to day but it's usually anywhere from like 430s to 445s um my doubles could be even like 450s to five minutes I usually don't Mm -hmm. even break five minutes my first k um so I definitely like to jog slow go hard on the easy days um yeah so 90 minutes Wednesday morning and then in like a marathon block like I might do um like an elliptical in the afternoon just kind of easy to flush the legs out um and then if I haven't done gym Tuesday I'll do gym Wednesday um gym's a little bit sporadic especially in a marathon block it kind of (laughs) like it has its um ups and downs but it's definitely very important so gym or elliptical in the evening um and then Thursday would be two runs so usually 60 minutes in the morning 30 minutes in the evening, um, just easy running. And then Friday would be like the big marathon session. 
So um, anything from like seven by 2K reps with a 500-meter float. So they're pretty chunky sessions. Like mm. the last two I did before Nagoya, um, I did four by, sorry, five by 4K with a two-minute jog. So it's 20Ks worth of running under 320s. <clears throat> yeah. We all usually, love hearing about the monster sessions. Yeah, right? yeah. So I usually do like those efforts are usually around like half marathon pace, threshold pace, like anywhere from like 315 to 320s, 25s, depending on how long the, the rep is. So, yeah, I love the the first one of the block is usually um, 20Ks of 1K on off. For some reason I just love that session. It goes by so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, that, that, that's kind of like the big chunky Friday session. I usually do like a four or five K warm up, four or five K warm down, depending on how cooked I am. Um, and then in an ideal world, I'll do gym again on a Friday. Um, but yeah, in a marathon. In an block. ideal world. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, um, Friday evening again, we'll do the elliptical 30 to 45 minutes, probably on a big, if I've done a big session, it's, I'll just do 30 minutes easy, um, for a Friday. And then Saturday, um, Often I go out and I jog park run, our local park run near our coffee shop. I'll just jog with um, friends or maybe pay someone to a PB. Um, but, yeah, just do a 60-minute run in the morning and and 30 minutes in the evening. Often, though, that Saturday, like, I'm pretty tired, so I've often, like, just skipped the second run <clears throat> or done elliptical instead or sometimes I just like to do two shorter runs, like two 40 or 50-minute runs, um, just feels a bit easier. And then on a Sunday long run, um, I tend to run like along the Torrens here in Adelaide or do like a city loop. So it's not like I'll get a little bit of undulation on the Torrens, but I don't, and this is partly my hamstring issue, but mm-hmm. I don't do a lot of like really hilly running or like getting out on the trails. I'd love to in an ideal world. I'll work on that. <laughs> um, but I got up to like two and a half hours um, a couple of times. So I think my longest is like 36, maybe 36 Ks. Um, and, and that, that's not hard running. That's like, that's a long run where, you know, I'll run the first hour and a half with company, maybe the first two hours. Um, I think the fastest I'd average a long run is like four tens or four fifteens. Um, but most of that is like, you know, you start in the four forty fives, you might run most of it around the four twenties to four thirties. And then you might be getting closer mm. to fours or three fifties even towards the, the end. Um, but it's not any kind of structured um, long run for me. And that's the week. Yeah. yeah. Usually it's like in a marathon block, I've been up to 180 once in each block. But I would say my average mileage in a marathon block, God, that's not even true. My, my <laughs> average would be so random because I have like these weird race weeks where it goes down to 90 and then it's back up. But um, a normal week would be more like 160 to 170. Um, and then you might get the occasional 175, 180. Um, if you're doing like, you know, yeah, a really long, long run and that long session. Yeah. It just, it can, it can get up there, but I'd say more like the 160, 170 is normal. And, and how are you as an athlete in terms of if you miss a session or miss a easy run? do you does it you know make you feel bad do you lose sleep over it how do you are you or are you pretty relaxed I would love to say I'm pretty relaxed but um 
<laughs> Riley will listen to this and tell me that I'm lying. Um, <laughs> Hi, Riley. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm not anymore. Like I've really, I've really learned that sometimes rest is more important and rest is productive too. But I don't love missing something if I've planned on it. Um, so I'm fine if I plan, if I plan to take a rest, you know what I mean? But if it's unexpected, I'll be a little bit like, oh, not mm-hmm. sure about that. But in saying that, like, I don't, I don't look at my weekly mileage until the end of the week. Like, I don't know what I'm going to run. And now, like, I might do up to two hours on the elliptical. I don't count that mileage in my, in my weekly mileage. So I've kind of let go of those, like, you know, really, um, narrow ways of thinking that we often look at as a runner. Like, I have to make a certain mileage or I, need to do this many runs or, you know, I have to hit this split. Um, in my prep for Melbourne, so like before the Melbourne race, came off Com Games, ran the 5 and 10, had the opportunity to do London Marathon, didn't want to stay overseas for another two months, came back to Australia, got COVID, presented with the opportunity to run Melbourne instead, same day as London. And I thought, you know what, why not? I've always wanted to run a marathon. I want to see where how good I am. Um I want to start somewhere right um and in that mar- in that block like you know nick would set me reps at 320s and i'd run them at 325s like i, I wasn't mm. i wasn't nailing the sessions at all like i was ticking them off i was getting them done but i wasn't nailing them and and then because i had such a good performance from that race now i've been able to go okay as long as i just get the work done you know and i'm and i, and I am working hard and and doing a good job of everything consistency is the most important thing and I don't have to hit everything perfectly or nail every week but it's taken me time to understand that um and even going back to college like Marisa made me understand that like sometimes um doing 30 minutes of yoga or stretching or normal tech or having a nap like they were still moving me forward they were still like progressing me as an athlete so it kind of took my um narrow thinking of like I have to train twice a day out of my head and be like sometimes doing something else is just as beneficial or even more beneficial than like doing more training yeah and I'm sure you tell your athletes that you coach that right yeah for sure absolutely like more is not always better and like um, more running is not always better there's a lot of things we can work on um you know as as athletes to be better all around um athletically and yeah, like I think that there's that idea that we have to do everything hard and fast and now and, yeah, big advocate for like running it easy days easy and like being able to actually go hard on when it counts and, yeah, I think that takes time to learn though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So given some of the challenges that you had leading into Melbourne, so it was a short build, you'd had COVID, you felt you weren't really hitting sessions or paces um, early in the block, uh were you did you surprise yourself on the day yeah I, I, it's interesting like so I had six weeks when I committed um and so I had a fair amount of like I was fit like I've been running you know 140 k's a week probably on average for two years and um you know I, I'd got myself in a good position from com games that where I knew I was pretty fit but um yeah I, I guess nothing felt like I was just felt like I got there wishing I had like another six weeks to get ready um but I think maybe that was a good thing like I wasn't cooked like I went into it um I went into it you know handling the training and I hadn't actually hit that point in a marathon block where you get really tired like I was doing a lot I still ran 
I ran like a 71 minute half marathon two weeks before. I remember like even the, even nine days out, I did a 30k session and a 30k long run that week. Like I was still hitting some good stuff all the way up to the very end, but I just wanted more time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I knew that Melbourne was like a hard course people had said and like the hills really come back to bite you. And like I was really prepared, um, to be conservative and to just try and get through and have a good day. And so going 2.30, I, under 2.30, I felt like was a reasonable goal as the level of athlete that I was at. Um, but then as I kind of got closer and people were like, oh, wow, like you're going for that. I was like, oh, should I, you know, or should I not be? Mm. <laughs> um, but then, um, yeah, Nick kind of was like, oh, you should go for 2.28, like, uh, you know, and I was kind of like, oh, wow, it's a bit, not, not sure about that. But I don't know, like it just felt really smooth and comfortable and I probably did surprise myself um, when I saw the time at the end and, um, you know, 2.28.10, I, I thought I'd run under 2.30, but I thought I might just, you know, scrape into the 2.29 um, range. So to, to go that far under, I think, was surprising. Um, and I think for me, like I, I was really worried about that last section in the tan mm. with the hills and not feeling very confident on hills, but I got there not cooked um, and like feeling really strong. So I got over them really well. And then that kind of gave me momentum, like, oh, this isn't so bad. Like, I feel pretty good. I'm at 37K and I feel pretty good. Um, so I was able to really, really actually, you know, pick up the pace in the last two and a half K and, and pass second place and put myself into, into second place. And I didn't realize how close I was to winning because we we're running through the back end of the half marathoners. And so it wasn't until I popped into the MCG and I saw, um, the girl in first place, um, you know, only a hundred meters in front of me or so. And, and she beat me by 10, 10, 10 seconds she won by. So, you know, less than a hundred meters. Yeah, um, cool. Did you I'm get not... the arms out, Izzy? <laughs> too late. It was too late, unfortunately, <laughs> but, um, I gave it everything anyway. And like, I was, I was rocketing down that last K, um, and just smiling and almost crying at the same time. Like it was very overwhelming, um, in that last K, like realizing that I was finishing a marathon. Um, but yeah, I definitely, um, I definitely walked away from that thinking there was a lot more in the tank. Um, and I know there is, but unfortunately, like I would have liked to think that I could have run a bit faster in my next one. And it just, it wasn't a perfect day. And, um, I think I got, I got really lucky in Melbourne. I had my friend Bryn run with me the whole way till the very end through the line, um, and talking to Mm. me the whole way and like, you know, preparing for me for what was coming. Um, and just being in, in a race where you've got, um, people around you the whole way is just pretty invaluable I think and also having the home crowd there and it just being really fun and, and easy um kind of on race weekend I think that was pretty pretty special yeah amazing what a great friend too yeah yeah he wasn't supposed to he was supposed to go to like 35ks um and then now thinking back on it like I'm like he was always gonna run the whole way like because <laughs> if I was struggling he wouldn't have wanted to leave me struggling and if I was going really well he he wouldn't want to leave when like you know I was going so well so yeah I think it was always doomed <laughs> <laughs> uh so I mean as adults now it's pretty rare that you try something new for the first time but this was your first marathon Take us back to the start of the race. It's a beautiful day against all odds in Melbourne. Uh, you're, you're in your race kit. You're doing a few strides near the start line. Like what sort of thoughts were playing through your head knowing, huh, I'm going to try something that I haven't done before? Yeah, I think it wasn't really until like the night before, the afternoon before, I started to get really nervous. I was like, 
oh my gosh, like I'm running a marathon tomorrow. Like what the hell? Like how did I get here? <laughs> um, and I think it's been such a, yeah, like a short prep and um, so much excitement around the weekend. We had like 60 people from Runners One going over. So we had this like group run Saturday morning and brunch and I did some media stuff. And and then suddenly like it just kind of caught up to me that evening that I was like, oh my God. Um, and I, I, you know, I barely slept that night as you do before, before a big race. Mm. And the morning of, I guess I just kind of like, I'm pretty impressed now looking back at it, how, how relaxed I managed to be. Cause I'm, I'm a fairly like people who know me closely are like, I, I can be pretty intense at times and a little bit like I talk on 1.5 speed at times and, you know, like <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm up and about, but, um, yeah, I managed to stay pretty calm and got up and had my rice and did all the things, you know, just kind of like, I just kind of went through like, all the things I'd kind of like planned. Like I always have a plan and I've, I have a time to do everything in. So I just kind of follow the schedule I've set for myself. And I think the biggest thing that morning, I was just like, Oh my gosh, I just need to go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, that's a, that's a reality of the marathon, right? Is like worrying about your carb load and, and going to the bathroom and all those little things. But, um, mentally I stayed pretty, I stayed pretty relaxed. And I think I was just like open to, the experience and like I was in a really good mindset where I was just kind of like willing to be open for the challenge and and just willing to take on whatever came and I think having Bryn there like knowing he was going to run with me I I felt very at ease um having that kind of comfort of familiarity because we'd done all the training together for Melbourne um so yeah I think that helped a lot yeah for sure and I guess everyone has their own techniques for trying to maintain that zen vibe before a race or to pump yourself out it sounds like for you it's sort of having a plan in place following the plan I've heard Benita say that she likes to bring trashy magazines to the start of a race and flick through them in the hours before so everyone's got their different way of doing it I think I need to stay like pretty relaxed but then also just like have fun um yeah is how I do it great uh, so let's talk about Nagoya now. Um, yeah, it was pretty different experience. <laughs> <laughs> so at least you had the 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 benefit of experience going into this one. Mm-hmm. How, how did it differ, or how did let's talk us through the the build up to Nagoya first? Yeah, so I guess after Melbourne, like I was so keen for the next one already. Like I just felt like I finished it being like, oh, that was amazing. Like I just want to do it again. And like do it better. Um, and obviously, like, you know, you have to recover first. And I got into training again pretty quickly. Like I took a day off and then I was back doing a session the following Tuesday, um, albeit relatively um, you know, not too hard. But um, yeah, I was back into training and I think that in hindsight I probably jumped back into things a little too quickly. Um, mm. because I kind of hit hit my full training again and felt a little bit like, I don't know, tired or unmotivated. But um I got through national 10k in December and came second there and was pleased that I could, you know, kind of come back for the marathon and get back on the track and, and run reasonably well there. Um, but I, I felt like I was doing all these races and not quite racing, um, as good as I was in training. Like I wasn't quite elevating on race day. I was just kind of like doing it and then walking away being like, uh, oh, that was like, that was all right. Um, and that kind of continued to happen. I did the world cross trials, just kind of like got through, made the team, like that was good, but um, was trying to also manage like marathon training going into Nagoya and having a longer block 
was different because this time around, like I did a 31K long run on Christmas Day. So, you know, a couple of months out, I was doing like, you know, I was getting my marathon training started. Um, but then I had more racing actually in the build. So we had um, a half marathon in Marigami five weeks beforehand. And um, I'm really pleased I was able to run 69.27 and run a, run a PB and come third there. But even so, um, you know, it was uh, a two-hour long run the Sunday before and, uh, you know, a full session on Tuesday. And I, I never felt like I was quite, um, you know, sharp and, and ready to go. Um, and then World Cross, uh, that was just, you know, I couldn't say no to wearing an Australian Australian best World Cross Country Championships on home soil. And um, while I don't see myself as the best cross-country runner, um, I was willing to, to push myself on that day um, for the team and to really have fun. And it was a great experience. It was so hard. And that was more the course and the terrain um, and, and the weather conditions. Um, and I walked away. I came 29th, which I thought at the end of the day was, was a good to get, was good to get top 30 and Australian women were fourth and, and that was great. But again, I didn't push myself to the well. Um, and so once I got to Nagoya, which was three weeks later, I was really ready, like mentally to go to the well. Like I'd, I'd done all these races where I felt like I was just kind of like, um, reserving a little bit extra because I knew I had something bigger coming. Um, and unfortunately, after Bathurst, like I think a lot of people, anyone who did Bathurst probably has a sore hamstring, but my hamstring injury, which I, which I'd managed to maintain pretty well, um, really flared up. Um, so that made the last three weeks before Nagoya a little bit dicey because every session it was getting quite sore and I was, it was, it was on my mind, um, that it was there and it was, it was probably going to come on in the marathon. So I, I don't know. I, I struggled with that a little bit in the last mm. few weeks and I started taking anti-inflammatories before the race and did what I could to kind of manage it. Um, but it was certainly like playing on my mind. Um, and that's the trade off for doing crazy things like a 10K cross country course three weeks before a marathon. Um, <laughs> but wouldn't take that back. It was such a cool experience to run, you know, at a home cross country championships. Um, but yeah, so I guess the, the bill went pretty well, but the last three weeks were a little bit more challenging. Um, and I think like there's always that trade off of like <clears throat> racing and then trying to fit training in as well. Um, so it's something that like I'm sure everyone kind of struggles with just figuring out like, you know, where you put your energy into and, um, you know, cause you can't go all out for every race if you're going to race in a build up and for every session. Um, but I kind of got to race day, like feeling like I had a really good preparation aside from that, you know, that niggle coming up in the last few weeks um, and confident that, you know, I could go with a 226, 225 pace and and hang on. Um, and that was my intention because, you know, I'd done a marathon. I wanted to improve on it. And, um, you know, the Olympic qualifying time now is 226.50. So why, why wouldn't you go for that? Um, and yeah, I was willing to, to give it a crack and it was a lot warmer than we expected in Nagoya. So it was 22 and pretty sunny and humid. Um, whereas you may expect like March in Japan to be fairly cool and, and, um, yeah, even cold really at, at that time of the year. Um, and so the races start a little bit later in the day there too. It was, it was like a nine ten start. So, um, I think just a few factors played into the fact that I didn't quite meet my A goal, but of course I'm so happy to even make a small improvement, um, and to get the world champs qualifier. Like, I know that like running and life is definitely not like a linear progression. So for me just to even make a small jump, I know is a really um, good step forward. But of course, just naturally the way I am, like I, I wanted more out of it. 
Yeah. Do you have any ideas what it would take for you to make the next big jump? I think that especially now that I've spoken to these women and heard their stories, um, it really seems like um, it's just about timing sometimes. Like you just have to get the right day um, and, you know, like you could have the same training block, same sessions, and on, on a certain day you might run three minutes faster. Like uh, there's so many factors that go into the marathon and I think that's what I love about it and what a lot of people are drawn to it and why they keep coming back and challenging themselves and and trying to learn and, and, and tinker with their training and different approaches because, like, it's not just, um, you know, find a fast race and get fit and jump on the pack, whereas that might that might work for a 5K or a 10K. Um, but for the marathon, it's like, you know, you have to be physically fit and, and resilient. Uh, mentally, you have to be prepared and, and resilient. Um, you need to get good weather. You know, you need a fast course. You, you ideally need a pack of people or at least one or two people to kind of work with, um, I think, for like that that perfect day where you get the absolute most out of yourself. Um, and so for me, like I'm, you know, I'm really actually quite proud looking back on Nagoya. Um, I finished 10th and I ran 227.54. Um, and we went through halfway with a pack of 20 people um, at 73 minutes and um, I think around 25K, it really started to split up and I was always towards the front of the pack. Um, and then classic. From, yeah, <laughs> classic me. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, I didn't want to be, but I was getting, um, I was getting like clipped from behind. Clipped. Like mm. there was like three times in like 1K where I actually got clipped and I was like, no, screw this. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just getting some space. You know, it's a big open wide road and there was no wind um, going that way on the course. So I just kind of put myself at the front of the pack. Um, but yeah, by like 25k, we really spread apart. And I think it was like 27k, we started catching people who'd gone with the first pack. So we were, I was in the second pack. Um, and I was actually the first finisher from, I was the first finisher who didn't go out with that first pack. Um, so I kind of like passed a few people. And once we got to 28, 29k, it was, I was with two other Japanese girls. And I was like, yes, these are my girls. Like, we're going to do this together. Like, come on. And then, unfortunately they just like they put a real surge in for half a k and then they just dropped off and after like 29 and a half k's i didn't see a single person and ran the last Ooh, that's lonely. yeah ran the last um 12 and a bit k's completely on my own um at one stage i saw a woman in front of me who was kind of falling back but um i, I closed in on her but i didn't actually pass her so yeah I, I was so low and i guess that experience of me having having someone all the way to the finish line in my first marathon um, and like, yeah, having a big group till 30 K is like, that just was different to me. Like I, I thought I would have that kind of pack in Nagoya and I guess um, you have to be ready for any, any, anything in a marathon. And really at the end of the day, only you can do the hard work and get yourself the result. Um, but I, I really would have liked to have a few more bodies to work with um, in those final stages. It just felt really lonely. And, you know, it's not a major marathon where you've got people riding the whole course um, there were sections where there was, you know, practically no one out there and running on your own. Um, it just feels like quite lonely and quite challenging. And, um, you know, in the morning sun, it was quite warm. And obviously, um, I've talked about like this hamstring injury, which started to really, um, be quite apparent in the last 10 to 8 Ks. And, um, I felt like I wasn't lifting my leg as properly as I, I wanted to. And, 
yeah, just seeing the markers like five category, four category, two category, like I was just um, treating them like a rep and just trying to really power through. I'm super pleased with myself that um, that last 2K, once I got to 40K, I was just like, give it everything, like every second here counts. Like I know I'm not on for the Olympic qualifying time, but I, I, I'm I very close to the world champs or a PB uh, but I knew I had to, I had to get faster to actually try and get under that time. So, um, it was just like every inch of myself. And I remember 500 meters to go. Um, like there's a photo that got taken and my head is like kind of tilted back because I'm like working so hard. And I, uh, you turn into this car park and you turn into the, into the dome for the last, um, like 88 meters, I think it is. And I, I didn't, I was so delirious. I had sunglasses on. I didn't take them off. Like every other person had come in with their sunglasses off and, I, it just was so dark. I, I felt like I couldn't see anything. I was seeing stars and <laughs> all I saw was 227, like 49 or something. And I was like, oh, thank God. And I just like sprinted. And as soon as I crossed the line, I like kind of collapsed to the side. It was just like <laughs> done. <laughs> Izzy with her glasses on. Yeah. Either hungover or drunk. I know. <laughs> Delirious. Delirious. So note to self, like if you enter a dome in a marathon, like take your glasses off. okay learnings yeah definitely Um, (laughs) now that you have the world champs qualifier is Budapest on the cards if you get the opportunity I would love to I would really love to do um, a world champs marathon I've never done a world champs um, aside from the cross country Um, and so I feel like I'm I'm still really like young in my career that um, any experience you know to race for Australia I will take in a heartbeat um, and I know um, it's different for everyone at different stages of, of their career. Like people may be more interested in running fast times or, you know, qualifying for um, the Olympics next year or, you know, improving records. Um, but for me, like I know I've got years ahead of me. So um, I, I will take an opportunity to run for Australia. And, yeah, I think that Budapest would be amazing. So I'm hopeful that I get the opportunity, but I know that um, there's a there's a handful of girls in the mix for those spots. Yeah, well, I think you're very much in the conversation now, Izzy. Yeah, thank you. Speaking of other sort of records, before Sinead broke the Australian record in the marathon, I did hear you say that one day that might be a goal of yours. Um, I mean, with your 5,000, 10,000 metre speed, this is pretty possible if you if you're able to convert that out to the marathon. But obviously now the bar's been raised by Sinead. <laughs> yeah, damn it, <laughs> Sinead. I know. Damn you, Sinead. Um, is this still a goal for you? Yeah, definitely. I think that um, you know, you have to have big goals in mind that you can kind of look towards in the future to keep you excited and motivated to keep working hard because um I- I've been able to maintain a really good level of consistency making Australian teams being on the podium at nationals, uh, you know, and that's great. I could keep doing all of that for plenty of years and, and have a good time, but I really want to push the boundaries of what's possible, you know, for myself. And I do think that, um, you know, seeing people like Sinead and other women, um, you know, Emma Bates just ran 222, I think, in Boston, like, you know, we're seeing other people doing these amazing results and then you just think to yourself, well, why not me if, if they could do it? Um, so, yeah, it's something I'll, I'll definitely be working towards. I'm sure that, there's plenty of other women who've got that target in mind. And um, while I think it's great to have big, hairy goals that you can kind of work towards, like I think the process goals and, yeah, enjoying the process. And I'm someone that always, like even if I have a race, like 
I'll have like five goals. And for Nagoya, like, you know, A goal was Olympic qualifying. B goal was like world champs qualifying. C goal was like PB, you know, like D goal was like finish the race. <laughs> so um, Z goal, take yeah. sunglasses yeah. off. I know, right? <laughs> but, yeah, in seriousness, like always having um, like not having a fail or like win approach to things like, yeah, succeed or fail um, is a, is a pretty narrow black and white way of looking at it. But I think if you have like a, a, a range of goals for any event or any year, um, you know, you might end up ticking out off two out of five, uh, whatever it is. Um, and walking away with like, okay, I did that, but I still want to work towards this. And sure, that's a massive goal down the road that I might work towards over the next 10 years. Someone else may lower it first, but, um, yeah, that's something that, that excites me to, to work towards. Brilliant. And as we round up this podcast, um, it would be great to hear about some of the other sort of lessons you've had through posting and interviewing all these amazing women. Like what are some of the key takeaways that you've had? Yeah, gosh, there's so many. And I feel like every conversation I was just nodding along and, and you know, trying to be a sponge and take it into myself. And, and yeah, there's so many great takeaways that we can learn from the women who have come through the marathon and, and continue to excel at it. And I think um, one of them that comes to mind is, um, you know, you don't know what's around the corner. Like a lot of these women, they wouldn't have even anywhere near guessed the next performance they were going to have, that their breakthrough that was around the corner. Um, you know, I think it's like Ellie, she was like in one year went from like 232 to 226 or something. Like, and similarly, um, you know, Benita, like she, when she ran the Australian record, her current PB was 226 and then she went around 222. Like, you know, I think she, and they would say they knew they were going well, but probably not um, to the extent of being able to, you know, guess what they subsequently went on to do. So I think it's like just sticking out and staying in it, you know, year on year, month on month, just being consistent, like never count yourself out because, um, you know, something amazing could be right around the corner and your training or, you know, your coach or yourself may not even be able to know what that is. Um, and I think it's just having that self-belief, um, you know, deep within yourself that something you know, you, you are capable of something down the track and just always knowing that um, even a subpar performance or a not even a good performance, um, your next good one could be just around the corner. So I think that's certainly a learning I would take away from all the conversations I've had. And another one would be like, you know, you can do it all, but maybe not not at once. So a lot of these women I'm speaking to, like their mums um, at times in their career, they may be working full-time part-time, not working, um, you know, there's varying points in a year in a career where um, priorities are different, right? Like when you're pregnant or when you've got a newborn, like that's going to be your priority. Um, then, you know, when you're coming into a really important race, like, you know, you can go all in a little bit on your training. Um, maybe you take a couple of, of months where you're, you're working less or, you know, the rest of your life kind of um, simmers down to, to make space for that really big goal you're working towards. I think in the culture that we're in, people often look at people's achievements, look at what they're doing, and, you know, they may only see a small snippet or a little quick grab or, you know, a short bio, and they think people are, you know, doing it all, doing it all at once, and they have to hustle and do it all and, you know, fit it all in um, quickly. But most of the time, if you look through, um, if you look at it 
you know, more deeply, you'll see that no one's doing everything at once. No one is working, you know, it's very unlikely someone is, um, you know, bringing up their kids, working full time, running, you know, doing all the things you see at that one point in time. Um, I know people like Lisa, you know, she takes some time off and goes down to, um, I think where her parents live and they have a really nice little training camp there and, and spend some time, you know, focusing more on training and a bit less time on work over the holidays and, you know, just different points of the year where you focus on different things. Um, yeah. And, and trying to get rid of that idea that it all has to happen right at once. I think that is a really good lesson. And there is certainly a narrative that you can have it all. And maybe that's not always helpful for people mm. to hear. Um, you're not a mum, but you're very busy with <laughs> different roles. You've got your own um, you've got a coaching business that you run with your partner, Riley Cox, who's also an amazing runner, runner's one. Um, and you've also got the run house cafe. Have you, yeah. did, did you learn any hacks on how to at least balance schedules or, uh, fit running in among with all, um, with all the other sort of life craziness? Yeah, I think like all these conversations really helped. Um, sometimes I actually have this like guilt because I'm not like all in on my running. Like, and at times I want to be, but it's just the way, um, of life. Like, um, it's not really realistic to go all in, um, for me at least, um, on my, on my sport. Like, I, I like being a balanced person and having other avenues that, um, you know, give me a sense of worth and meaning and, and joy. And, um, I, I do like being busy and, and, you know, that sense of accomplishment. So for, for me, like I love coaching. Um, the run house kind of came up without really, um, I guess like that was a bit unexpected to be like running a coffee shop, um, and running store, but it's so much fun. And I feel very grateful that we've been able to kind of create our, our life and, you know, our work around running. Um, but yeah, I think these conversations have kind of helped me to get rid of that guilt a little bit and be like, yeah, it, it is normal to do other things. Um, and you don't have to be, completely um all in at once um but I guess yeah speaking to them has just helped me realize that yeah it does take a team like you have to lead on the people around you whether that's your family or your partner or um you know your training squad um just like sometimes asking for help you know you, you none of us none of these women are doing this alone like they've got supportive partners families um people in their corner who they can turn to and trust and it really does take building a strong team around you um to to get the most out of yourself and so that's something that I definitely will continue to do is just to lean on the people around me and, and to ask for help when I need it mm, good lessons and how about in terms of the marathon were there any sort of commonalities or differences in approaches between the women you spoke with yeah I think that it's interesting to me and like comparing my two races even myself and my two kind of like blocks so to speak um I think I can look back and see from all the, all these women that, um, you know, sometimes the, the more we want it or the more we expect it, you know, that can be, um, a dangerous, dangerous game. Um, and, and as I said, like, you know, your best performance could be right around the corner. And, um, sometimes like they don't like good and bad performances don't necessarily have to make sense. And like, just not dwelling on them necessarily for too long. Like it's good to learn from, a race and take away the positives or the negatives and like put that into practice. But sometimes like there's no point losing sleep over like why something just didn't work out the way that you wanted it to, because there are so many factors that go into it. Um, I think if anything, like 
speaking to these women has showed me that like, you know, we all want to know like what's the one perfect way to fuel for a marathon? What's the one perfect meal? Like everyone's different and and that's what's beautiful about it is that you have to find out like what works for you. Some people are going to take on five gels. Some people are going to take on just liquids. Like there's no one formula that's going to be the success um, for you to run your best marathon. Um, if anything, those factors, as important as they are, um, you know, it's really between your ears, which is <laughs> what you've got to work on, um, I think, for the marathon. Like, and, yeah, it's just it's incredible. I think that even even these amazing women, even Benita, like probably feels like there was even more to give on another day. Like I, I think um, it's Steve Monaghetti, you know, to pivot away from the women who said like, you know, to people, if you find out, if you figure out how to nail the marathon, let me know. And you think someone like him would, you know, he, he nailed it, but even he thinks that, um, you know, there was more to give. And that's because it's just a learning experience. Like we can just continue to try and better ourselves and try and learn from, from what we've done. But um, yeah, there's no perfect formula for anyone. Is that mystery part of the appeal for you? I think so. Yeah, I definitely think so. And and just knowing that, um, you know, the stars do have to align a little bit to get that stellar performance. And, um, you know, I think Benita and Sinead mentioned, like, that, you know, when they ran their Australian records respectively, it was kind of like the perfect day, but they've only got that once in their career and most people only get that once or twice in their career. Um, and I guess that is a little bit of a mystery. Like you just kind of wait and see if you if you get that perfect day and it lines up with you being fit and you being ready and your body cooperating and um, all the things that go into it. But one of the things I love about the marathon too is that, you know, I think I spoke about this with the women on the different podcasts too, is like, of course, we're competitive. We want to be the best version of ourselves. We want to, you know, be the best in Australia. We want to go for records and teams. But at the end of the day, like, the marathon is what you're racing against and you have to, it's you versus that 42.2 Ks. It's you versus that race and the conditions. It's, it's not really you versus your competitors in the field or the other Australians that you're fighting for spots. Um, and so I think that idea breeds a sense of like mutual respect and like love and understanding um, for everyone who's like taking part in this event, which is pretty different from the track. Um, and, and I really like that. And I like that it's much more self kind of focused. Like you can't really worry about what other people are doing. Um, whereas on the track, you know, you're much more thinking about like tactics. And if I, and you know, I've, I've felt really, I've walked away from track races just feeling really quite shitty because I felt like, um, you know, I've been, I've put myself out there and I've been the one to, to walk away, um, you know, not with the result I wanted because, um, I haven't played it right tactically. And in a marathon, there's not really anything about tactics it's just like you run your race and see how we get to you know at the end of it um you, you can't really worry about other people and I, I do really like that and, and respect that for the marathon well I think that is a great note to end on Izzy and know that we are all cheering for you and we all hope that you beat the marathon one day <laughs> thank you <laughs> me too <laughs> um before we sign off is there anywhere where people can find you on socials and follow along with your journey? Yeah, I, um, I'm on Instagram pretty actively. I'm just at Izzy Bat Doyle, but I also share all my training on Strava. I'm one of those people who feel like, look, you can look at my training. It's not going to make, make you any more likely to beat me or, or not. Um, I, I don't know. People got different ideas about Strava and I know that 
some people just, um, you know, a little protective about their training and, and maybe don't want that pressure of having to share if they're injured or if they're not feeling good. Um, but yeah, I, I like putting it out there. For me, it's partly, um, to, as my, you know, hope to inspire other people and to motivate the runners I coach and that sense of accountability that, um, I know my runners like about, you know, sharing it in our, in our group runners one Strava. So yeah, if anyone's interested, they can follow along my training, um, on Strava. Um, and yeah, also obviously we mentioned I, I do coach, um, as well. Um, runners one that's, uh, got a website. You can check it out and Instagram. And, uh, I look, it's a big community here in Adelaide and anyone in Adelaide, um, we're always open to more people joining our running sessions, but I also do coach remotely. So, um, I do have a, a big interest in working with other, other women, um, who are looking to better themselves in the sport. And, um, yeah, it gives me, gives me a lot to feel like I can help someone else reach their goals and maybe, yeah, put in a little bit of the wisdom I've learned over the years of running to help someone else. So yeah, love coaching and it kind of gives me that sense, um, of working with people that I thought I was going to get out of a psychology career. So yeah, I couldn't be happier in the space I'm working in now with coaching and running. And that's beautiful, Izzy. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time today. And on behalf of the whole FTK team, thank you for hosting the FTK Women's Marathon Special. And we wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Lisa. It was great to chat today. And hopefully uh, the boys let me hang on to the mic and maybe we'll have some some more episodes in the works. I reckon they will. <laughs> Thanks, Izzy. Thank you. Now, if you've gotten through this whole episode without buying a bottle of Glossily Sports New Dry Shampoo Ready Sweat Glow, do your hair a favour and grab a bottle now. Refreshing your hair in seconds so you can skip the wash, not the workout. Check it out at glossilysport.com.au and use the code KUDOS20 for 20% off.